0: Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. And today I want to talk a little bit about love from a children's perspective so that we as a church will know what we are looking into and where we're going. And with that being said, here's something that came across uh, the great, great internet that I thought this is really good. It's, it's a group of people that they took this question talking about defining love, and they went and asked a bunch of four- to eight-year-olds. And they asked four-year-olds to to eight-year-olds to define love. Because I think as adults, sometimes we get distorted by this thing called life. And here's what they said, listen to this. Love, this is from Rebecca, who's age eight. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands hurt, from arthritis, Some of y'all are going to get in your feels, aren't you? Billy, H four, said, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. I like that one a lot. I've got names for everybody that I love. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. Sign me up for that one. (laughs) Age five, that's Carrie. Chrissy, age six, says this. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. Said no man ever. (laughs) Terry, age four, said love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Age eight, Danny said love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him just to make sure it tastes okay. Bobby, age seven, this is good. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you'll stop opening presents and listen. That's pretty good for a seven-year-old, isn't it? Nikita, age six, says this. If you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend who you hate. Noel, age seven, said, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, then he wears it every day. (laughs) See, a lot of y'all say, like, why do you wear the same stuff all the time? There's your answer. Tommy, age six, said this, love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. Just a few more. Cindy, age eight, said this about love. During my piano recital, I was on stage and I was so scared. I looked at all the people watching me and I saw my daddy waving and smiling. He was the only one doing that. And I wasn't scared anymore. Elena, age five, says this. Love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Karen, age seven, said, when you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. <laughs> Mark, age six, says, love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. <laughs> now, you got to be married to understand that. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> I debated whether to include that one. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Oh, man, there's only one way up from here, right? Two more. Jessica, age eight, says this. You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot because people forget. And then the one that kind of won the whole thing came from a four-year-old whose next-door neighbor was an elderly gentleman who had recently lost his wife. Upon seeing the man cry, the little boy went over to the old man's the old gentleman's yard, climbed up in his lap and just sat there. When his mother asked him what he had said to the neighbor, the little boy said, nothing. He just needed someone to help him cry. You know, love comes in a lot of different things, and I'm an emotional guy, and I have a hard time even reading some of that stuff, especially that last one, because I'm one of those that I believe that what love is 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 when one person cries, the other tastes salt. And today, what I want you to understand is today, as we get ready to dedicate some children here in a little while, it's really not about dedicating children to to the Lord. It's really about us as a church saying, I wonder what the kids are going to describe as love when this is all said and done. Like, I wonder how the way we treat our children. Like, for some of you guys, and and all the parents in the room that you got your child with you, and you're like, come here, you got to be quiet. Quit telling them to be quiet. I wouldn't want to come to church if I was a child and I was constantly getting in trouble. Just, they're fine. I got ADHD. I'm so distracted. It doesn't matter what's going on with your child. All right. I'm still wondering why Katie's in the back walking around taking pictures. You know what I'm saying? It's so, no, I'm kidding, Katie. But yeah, I mean, it's it's just, you ain't got to worry about that. But on a serious note, I wonder how we love people. Like, I wonder how we really engage people. Like, I think the way that people define what they, and I want to use this word loosely, find at church is a really big deal. In fact, I will tell you, most people are probably not active in church this morning for one simple reason. It's not because God's not real. It's not because Jesus doesn't love them. The reality is this. They went and didn't find anything worth going back for. That's tough, isn't it? And I'm not talking about a message. I'm not talking about what type of songs they did. I talk about the way that we love people. So, with that being said, I've got a simple, simple, simple message. And I want to end with illustration. But I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it actually defines what love is. It's one of my favorite chapters. I've memorized this chapter. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this, but I just want to give you an understanding of. What God's word says, I've given you what love is from a four-year-old to an eight-year-old perspective. Let me tell you what God says through the Apostle Paul of what love is. And realize, to give you a little bit of understanding, this is a major chapter that he segmented between talking about the body of Christ being made up of many members. And then before he gets into these kind of rules and regulations in chapter 14, because the church in Corinth was struggling with sexual immorality and the way they were using their body and were struggling with what love was. So he just hit a pause button. And listen to what he says. chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a sounding brass or a tingling cymbal. If I have have prophetic powers or the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, or if I have all faith so that I could look into a mountain and tell it to move, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burnt, but have not love, I've gained nothing. Let me put it very, very simple. Do you know that as a church... No matter what God has planned for us, that when it's all said and done, no matter what property we end up on, no matter what building we end up on, no matter what growth that comes, no matter what God does in your life, whether we have the gift of prophecy or knowledge or mystery or wisdom or miraculous and God does amazing things, if you take love out of the equation, what God is saying through his word is that it's all for nothing. You know, a minute ago when I made that comment, and I'm not making an indictment. I, I'm, we're just speaking today, okay? We're just looking at God's word. When I said people have come to church and the reason why they may not be at church this morning because they're at the house, because they've not found something that, that they feel like going back to, what I'm talking about is that there's a lot of churches that got a lot of great programs, guys. I mean, there's some churches, they got some buildings, man. I'm like, dude, like, I got to be careful. I'm like, man, I like, that building is nice. I know some churches that this morning that are not in this town, they're in other places that I've had the chance to be in those cities. One particular church that I remember, it was right on the river in Fort Worth, Texas, had a worship center that would hold a little over 2,000, built this brand new family life center, had a bowling alley in it. Why? I have no idea. Because evidently, you know, if you want to go to church, you're going to want to bowl too. And they were getting ready to shut the doors because nobody was showing up. I can remember being with a guy named Jerry Tidwell... This is a while back. This is in the mid-90s, and he came up with this idea of this concept called grow and trying to get people to go out and trying to do these different programs to reach people and knock doors and, and doing these different, and if you did so many, then the equation would work out where so many people would show back up at your church, and it was all about trying to grow the church because people saw the church was plateaued or declining. Most churches in America are either plateaued or declining. They're not growing. Why? Because they're trying to grow something rather than trying to be something. What the first part of this scripture is all about is the fact that, you know what, it doesn't matter what gift you have. It doesn't matter how great God's bestowed things on you. If you do not have love, it's worth nothing. With that in mind, he then goes in and actually defines what love is. It's an amazing concept. Chapter 13 verses 4 through 8, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. If you have a paper Bible, underline that one for yourself, just free of charge. It does not insist on its own way. Now, you can think through this with the concept of parenting, you can think through this through the concept of marriage. You can think through this in a lot of different things, but it says very simply that love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in the wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. You know, I think that as a church, as we get closer to this aspect of, like, like, not missing it, I think we need to redefine what we're trying to catch. I think that the goal today is not to bring these amazing six children up here and and have this, like I said, certificate and Bible, and we're actually going to be providing a lunch for their family because we want to love them well. But when it's all said and done for them to, to leave and then for their children to show back up and have a desire to grow in love and grow in godliness, and we don't have time for them, we don't have the ability to do that, we don't have the workers to do that, Boy, that, that's not really loving well, is it? So today, my question is if we understand what love is, if we understand what God's word says about love, then the question is, how loving are you? And I'm not talking about just the parents in the room. I'm talking about the grandparents, I'm talking about the boyfriend, the girlfriend, I'm talking about the spouse. See, here's how most of us work. I, I won't say most of Here's how I work. Okay, I'll let you in the pastor's mind, but be careful. You get in there, you get lost. You may not find your way back out. But uh, That's good stuff right there. That's got to be a low kid. It's got to be a low kid. Yes, sir. But it's one of those things, listen to me. Most people, here's the way your love works. Boy, I really love well when there's a benefit of that love coming back to me. Like even in your relationships, all you married people, listen to me, we really love well when the love's flowing both ways, aren't we? But when things get a little bit tough or things get a little bit tight or things get a little bit struggling, it's not that we don't love well, but if we're not careful we start getting consumed with the things that we want rather than what the needs are of the other person. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. But if you were to jump back into this scripture, then it goes into this aspect of if, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and knowledge and all these different things. And though I look through this mirror dimly and it's talking about this whole concept. And then it gets to this one major scripture that I think is key for us today when we think about the aspect of of children's dedication or baby dedication. Listen to this word. It's so, so good. It's actually verse 11, and here's what it says. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Can I give you a very Mickey-ism of what I believe that translation means? When I look at a child, you know what I look at? I look at an amazing individual that's dependent on somebody else. They need you to meet their needs. Here's the way I wrote it down so I wouldn't butcher it. A child is someone who needs help to meet their needs. That's a child. Like, there's some things they literally cannot do. I've got amazing kids that range from 20 to 8. I am that dad that has to be careful because I'm like, Amy, let's go out. Let's go on a date. She's like, well, what about the girls? I'm like, they're 8 years old. My gosh. I mean, what? There's food in the fridge. I mean, come on. Do you not know how to work a microwave or an oven? Like, time to grow up. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm not, but I, I need to say I'm kidding, so y'all don't think less of me. But it's you well, know, but it's one of those things, like that's like I think of children, I'm like like they're growing up and you start bestowing more responsibility on them, and they go from like needing you to meet their needs to actually starting to meet their needs themselves. But then here's what's really cool then there's this transition where you go from being like a child to being a man. You know what the difference in a child and a man or a woman? You know what the difference in a child and an adult is? A child needs someone to help meet their needs. An adult helps meet needs. A child needs someone to help them to meet their needs. But becoming a man, moving forward, being an adult. That's when you hit a point where you stop worrying about your own needs and what you actually start doing. You start meeting everybody else's needs. That's what's so great and grand about grandparents is because they get it. Like they'll just stop their world, right? They're like, boop, I can do this all day long. Don't you have something else to do? What else is there? Then it goes into these words that you've heard so many times. Now abide faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Listen, here's what I want you to catch. Very, very simple, and I'm done. And I want to show you one little simple illustration to prove this. I think for most of us, we get so caught up in trying to create faith, trying to lead kids in the right direction, wanting them to one day accept Christ the Lord and Savior, wanting them to have a right relationship with the Lord, trying to do the right thing with programs and scriptures and nothing wrong with any of that. But can I tell you through God's word, whether you be a parent, grandparent, cousin, uncle, or Crossroads church member, there is one thing that has always changed people's lives. It's changed your life, and it's changed my life. It wasn't faith. It wasn't hope. But it was love. It was the love that God had for us and the way that we could love him back. And it's the way that other people have loved you despite what they know about you, and you've loved them back despite what you know about them. But there's one big problem, right? There's one big problem. Let me, let me kind of drive this home over here on this little table. I want to show you something, and, and I've done this, it's probably been about three years. But there's one big issue that, that we're at that I just want to remind us as a church. There's three things that you can just about at any time come and ask me and there's three things that I usually always have in my pocket. I have a pocket knife. Uh, why? Because I'm a man. And men carry pocket knives. If your man doesn't have a pocket knife, buy them a pocket knife this week. All right? That's, how you, that, that's actually one of the ways you can identify your gender role is if you have a pocket knife. It's really not biological. It's actually a pocket knife. All right? I'll prove it to you. Well, I almost went somewhere. I didn't need to go. I was going to call one of y'all out, and I knew they didn't have a pocket knife, but then I'd make fun of them. All right? The second thing I carry is I've had it for a while. It's a poker chip, and it just says crossroads, and it's just something that reminds me every day that I'm all in. Like when it comes to what God's called us to do and what we're doing, I am like every morning I put it in my pocket. Every night I take it out, put it on the table beside me, and every morning with my pocket knife and with my one other thing. And it's just a reminder for me. I'm a visual person. I'm a, I'm a very simple-minded person person uh, which is the way of saying yes I'm a little slow and so I got to do some things to help me to remember it's the reason why we give out bracelets that say pray first why so when I look at my wrist I go oh yeah pray first but I remind myself I'm all into what God's called me to do but the last one and some of you guys have heard it's a marble it's a day I just want to explain to you why I carry a marble I've been carrying one for four years now because here's the concept listen to me most of us, when we talk about love and we talk about God and we talk about the things that God wants, it's very easy for us to understand that. We go, yeah, that's great. That would be awesome. Yeah, I want to do that. The problem is, is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 says there's a season for everything. Like after that first verse, then it goes into this amazing, amazing scripture that talks about there's a time for everything, a time for weeping, a time for mourning, a time for rejoicing, a time. I mean, all like the birds took it and turned into everything, turns, 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 you know, into this great song. But here's the reality. When it comes to us as a church and to the parents in the room that have a child, the reason why I carry a marvel is because, statistically speaking, Reggie Joiner wrote a book called Don't Miss It. It's a great book. It's actually, I can show it to you. It's this book right here. This is how big it is. It'll take you literally about five minutes to read. And in that book, he tells you that when your child is born, you have, are you ready for this, 900 and 36 weeks between the birth of your child to when your child graduates high school. What does that mean? You have 936 weeks to leverage your love and God's love for you to have an impact before you let them go, because parenting love, and some of my people don't like it when I say this, but it's just the truth, parental love is the only love that God created where the ultimate goal is separation. Like the goal is not for them to live with you for the rest of your of your life, no matter what you think. Now, if you're like me, it's hard to remember that, right? So let me help you. That's 936 marbles. So when, when your child is born, you literally are like, Woo, man, I don't know why. Like, what am I going to Like, this is going to be forever. Like, you remember the first marble, right? Like, I literally remember Easton, who's now 20 years old, and it's hard to believe that, but I remember the first marvel. Here's what the first week with Easton was in my life. Amy, will we ever sleep again? You say, oh, now it, it was great in the hospital. Like, you're in the hospital, everybody's coming by, they're bringing gifts, you're ordering food, and then you go home. And luckily, we had some amazing parents that came and were willing to stay with us and help. But I can remember getting up, you know, Amy and I's little rule, I was like, I'll get up and get the baby on the like the third shift, bring the baby to you, you'll feed the baby, I'll get him cleaned back up and put him back down. And then I because I would be getting up and going to work the next morning. So that was kind of my shift, what I did. I took the 10 at 10 p.m till the 6 a.m shift. And I remember literally like first week, maybe it wasn't the first week, maybe it was about the fourth week. I literally remember, I, I, this is embarrassing to admit, but I will admit it because I have no ego. I remember calling my mother and saying, Mother, you, you don't understand. Like I, like, I don't, like, I can't do this. I've never been so tired. I fell asleep at a red light. <laughs> like, I was driving home from work, excited to go home and see Amy Lou and Easton, and I stopped at the Rite Aid, and I was flat. Well, actually, we'd been in Murfreesboro or in Georgia or whatever, and I was, poop, I was out. Like, somebody's like, eh, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> got to go. I was exhausted, but you know, there's some other times, and I want to read some of the things that he wrote down to help you understand, because I thought this is really, really good. Are you ready? Talking about all this 300, right? Three, 900, sorry, 936 marbles, but look, here's one that's really emotional for your parents, because at around 260, that week marble, guess what that's going to be? At 260 weeks, that's when you drop them off at kindergarten, You know, that day where all the fifth grade parents are like, come on, hurry up, get out of the way. And the kindergarten moms are like, (laughs) you know, you're trying to be strong. And then as soon as you let them go, they all walk down to the same little place around the corner. And there's like a huddle of them and they're all balling together. You're like, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Another marble that's really cool that, that I think is really amazing is the aspect of about 478. At 478, if you have a little girl, this is a marble that's amazing. They start shaving their legs. And all the other things that go with that. And as a dad, you start to get to go shopping. Who knew there was so much? Like, wow. Like, can't there just be like... This is it, just get this one box and we got everything we No. There's multitudes. That's around 478. And normally 478, the more embarrassed you are, is normally the time they're gonna call for a price check when you're going to check out. Yeah, you know, another one that, that's really cool is for for boys. Boys, and it's really earlier, it's about 360. 360 when they decide, you know what, that tree in the front yard, I'm going to climb that thing, which is code for we're going to the ER for the first time because he's broke his arm. Like, I could go through these different things. Some of the the ones that I remember that were really funny to me that that I highlighted in this book that I'll read to you that just kind of gives you an idea of what's going to happen in those 936 weeks, 478, I told you she shaves her legs. Well, let's back up a little bit. 338, she'll have her first visit from the tooth fairy. 364, she'll stop believing in the tooth fairy. Let me give you another one. Around 573, she decides she's smarter than you. He or she decides they're smarter than you. That one never goes back. That's just like, you're done. From that point on, you're the dumbest person in the room. Week about 728, she attends her first high school class. In fact, let me give you an understanding. If this is at birth, that's when they go to sixth grade. You know what's amazing? I'm telling you from experience. Here, I thought I had all the time in the world. In fact, I will be honest and tell you, there were moments that I prayed, Lord, if you will just get me through this. Like, Lord, just get me. Lord, I... I know, I know, I, I can't, I, just get me through this. I don't want to be in this stage. Get me through this. All you women are going to hate my guts right now, but listen to me. The sack of potato stage for babies, why do y'all like that so much? Like, they don't do nothing. Like, they're born and they're just like, <laughs> and you feed them and they poop. And you're like, oh, they're so cute. And I'm like, they're not doing nothing. Nothing. Like, can he not, like, crawl, like, pass gas, something, like, do something, like, just sack a potato stage. I can remember going, Lord, I, like, you got to, like, I'm ready to go, like, I, I'm ADHD sitting here, like, rocking this baby, like, basically, this baby was an electric blanket for me. We would sit down on the couch, put him on my chest, we'd both fall asleep in 30 seconds. But I can remember when all of a sudden they started moving at around two, where they really got active. And I went, Lord, can you take me back to the sack of potato stage? But I can remember, listen, between here and here seemed like forever until I was here and couldn't go back. In fact, the first girl. I ever had. His name was Addison Kathleen Clark. I had a song I sung to her when we were little. I'd say, Addie, Kate, 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 you are so great, great, great. You are the girl that rocked Daddy's world. And when we were here, we had a six-year-old four-year-old, and a newborn. Yeah. What you're thinking is what I was thinking. Lord, can I just get through it? This is, this is all I got left. That's, that's how many marvels that are left in Addison Kathleen's life. Before she graduates high school. And you know what I've realized? As crazy as some of this stuff was, the broken bones, the stitches, one kid hitting another kid with a golf club. One kid going, yeah, I think we can jump that. One kid saying, hey, yeah, I think we should try that. Like, trust me, I got stories that I'm not going to share. Like, there's a lot, right? Right? It's hard when you get to this point and you realize you can't go back. I think that's one of the reasons why grandparents get so serious and emotional when it comes to their grandchildren. Because it's like God gives them a do-over. And one of the things they go is, man, I'm not going to miss it. Like that sack of potato stage, that, oh man, let me tell you something. When I have a grandson or a granddaughter, I can't wait to hold that little sack of potatoes. I'm not going to miss it. If you're a parent, can I tell you no matter what stage you're in, number one, it's okay? I'm going to tell you, we've got five kids. That's my two boys. So why do I carry a marble in my pocket? I carry a marble in my pocket to remind myself every day that I'm not going to miss it. Whatever stage that I'm in for this week when it comes to being a dad, for the ones that I have some marbles left or for the ones that so graciously put marbles back in and say, yeah, I'll give you another week, I don't want to miss it. But let me tell you something, church. When a baby's born into this church, guess what? God says, You've got 936 weeks. Some of those are going to be in the nursery, some of those are going to be in CRCC kids. Some of those are going to be in student ministry. Some of those are going to be the opportunity to go watch them play a ball game or watch them in a band competition or watch them in a drama. Can I ask you a very, very serious question? If parents sometimes miss it, I wonder what a church does. Now, it says the average person, the average person in 2021 that is average active in church, attends 1.4 times a month. It's not even half. That's this jar right here with the ones I added. That's how many opportunities you have to love the children that we're fixing to dedicate. Can I ask you a question? How important is it? Like when you get ready to be in the back, or when you're in the, getting ready to go to, to the farm day next week, or when you're getting ready to go on a student trip, or you're getting ready to host youth camp, or you're getting ready to serve on a dream team for Sunday morning. Like, do you realize that every Sunday we cannot miss it? And so today, I just want to simply ask you as a church. How many of you, I'm not asking you to stand up. I'm not asking you to fill out some card. But here in a minute, when I introduce you to some amazing children. How many of you are ready to seize this opportunity? Because the way you love them and the way you treat them will dictate what their legacy is. Not at crossroads. But in God's church in general. If you are encouraged by today's podcast and would like to hear more messages, visit us at crossroadscommunitychurch.com.